Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly, coming to you from Robert Morris University Studios. I'm your host, Steve Stefano Mancini, and I'd like to thank all of our listeners from all over the world listening to us on khbradio.com. And for those of you who have caught our past episodes on ItalianImpactWeekly.com, again, as always, we want to thank you, welcome you back to our show. And as I say every week, and I will continue to say this, we want to thank you, our listeners, for listening. But more importantly, we want to thank you, our sponsors, for paying the bills. So I want to thank Nick and Amy at Pellucci Plumbing. I'd like to thank Tom Deeks, Greater Pittsburgh Travel. Mark Di Pasquale for City Controller, and thank you again to the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh, Dominic and the folks, and also looking forward to seeing you guys at the Bocce Tournament this Sunday. And finally, I want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei, Angela and the folks, the only nonprofit school here in Pittsburgh. Angela, thank you all very much for your continued support and for continuing to be patient with me while I continue to study Italian. All right, if you haven't noticed something, there was no... Hi, and I'm your co-host or host, Claudio Rilsona. That's because Claudio could not join us tonight. Claudio, I miss you, buddy. But uh, Claudio is at a very important fundraiser, and he's doing the right thing, passing on Steve, and it's always the right thing to pass on Steve, and Joe is smiling. And again, I always want to thank Joe Hale, our engineer here at RMU. Joe is jumping through hoops again every week, and he knows why, and he knows what he's doing, so it is greatly appreciated. And for our listeners, we actually have a very fun uh, show tonight, you know, Folks have been listening to the show over the last, you know, many months that we've been doing this, have seen that we've had various guests from, in fact, all over the world. We had Vince Ferragamo, Mario Andretti, uh, Patrizio Boani calling it from Europe. We had John Cameron. Um, we've had just some fantastic guests, some local guests. And now we're going to be joined by some, what I'm going to call some fellow folks in the entertainment business. But unfortunately... We're not as successful as them, but John, we're hoping to get there. I want to welcome our guest tonight, John Viola from Italian American Podcast. John, welcome to the show. Steve, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. I appreciate, again, taking the time. And and like I said, I also want to do want to give a shout out to Stephanie because I appreciate her coordinating, getting you on. I, uh, like we were talking before the show and, uh, you know, most of us that are doing this probably have daytime jobs. And so these are what we'll call passionate hobbies. But uh, if you're going to do it right, you know, there's a lot of coordination. And it's, you know, thanks to folks like Joe here and, and Stephanie, who I like to say are herding the cats. So, again, Stephanie, thank you very much for, uh, for coordinating the time with John. And, John, obviously, again, I can't thank you enough. I know you're busy. Um, I see you've got a lot of things going on, and we're going to talk about a lot of that tonight. But, uh, again, thank you again for taking time out of your schedule. And uh, with that, what I want to do is I kind of want to jump right in. And uh, let's start first off. You have something that I think some of our listeners, especially if they're part of ISDA and you get La Nostra Oce, the, the magazine, you've probably seen, um, you know, advertisements or, or kind of announcements for Italian America podcast. John, you are one of the co-hosts for the podcast. Before we kind of jump into you, how about real quick, give our listeners a little bit of, uh, you know, what's the podcast? What's it about? Oh, sure. Well, the, the Italian American podcast was started in 2015 by two Italian Americans named uh, Dolores uh, Alfieri Taranto and Anthony Pisano. And I happen to have been the president of the National Italian American Foundation in Washington at the time. Anthony had started a bunch of podcasts in the past, knew how to, how to do this kind of stuff, and uh, decided he wanted to give a try. He didn't see any Italian American podcasts out there in the, in the space. And uh, he called on Dolores. They found me when I was at NIAF. They were looking for some support. We partnered up. And then when I came back from D.C. a couple of years later, the show had really boomed, but it was becoming too much for them with full-time work. You know, two people 
raising families and uh, jobs and everything. So we all kind of sat down and I thought that I could come in and work on this full time and professionalize it and uh, bring on some other co-hosts, which we did. And uh, we've now hit, I think this week we hit episode 278 or something like that. So we've been going strong for about eight years and uh, it goes all over the world. And uh, it's been a great project, a real, real passion piece for the five of us who are hosting. We've had amazing guests and wonderful topics and video series have been born out of it and uh, a t-shirt brand and all this kind of exciting Italian American lifestyle stuff. So it's a great platform for us to kind of, we call it the, uh, the collective therapy couch of who we are and why we are. No, that's, uh, that's actually uh, pretty interesting because I didn't realize it went back that far, but that is, um, you know, it's funny that you said that a few years ago there weren't so many Italian-American podcasts, but I think you're starting to see some more kind of a revival in the community. And um, funny enough that you mentioned your last podcast, and, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead and I'm going to come back to you because I really want to talk about you as far as who you are and where you come from. But I want to mention something because your episode 278, I actually watched that one, and it was How to Revive Your Italian-American Festival. And the interesting thing was when we – I started doing a radio show about a year and a half ago with someone else. And we'll just say we had a little disagreement about which way we wanted to go with that. But but I, I think that one of the things that is missing, you know, in the Italian community in the United States, well, actually, I say two things. And I've been told this by a lot of people, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Is one, I've been told Italians are kind of fractured. They're not like this united ethnic block that, every, hey, I'm Italian, and we're all going to be get along kumbaya. And two, there is a big difference between the newer generations, and I think for obvious reasons, they've been immersed in American culture, they're Americans. Um, whatever that means, I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean whatever that means, they're Americans. And that disconnect from that older generation that would have had the radio shows, the TV stations, probably would have been way more into having podcasts because they were you know, newer arrivals from Italy, they're, they're kind of going away. But I want to I kind of get your opinion on that. Do you, do you think the community is fragmented and, you know, you guys are kind of like us. We're trying to revive and kind of, you know, get that spirit back that I, I personally think in some ways it is lost. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Are we fractured? Is, is there still spirit enough and motivation up, you know, for this community to get back together and kind of really light it up? Well, I mean, I think, I think if you think about the Italian-American experience, we've been fractured since we got here, right? I mean, we are people who uh, writers have written about Campanilismo for centuries, this idea that you kind of relate to everything that you can see from the church bell tower in your town, right? And so uh, I think uh, we have a natural fractured state. And then if you go to the sociopolitics, Italy's unification is the unification of a myriad of independent dukedoms and uh, two kingdoms and uh, all of these different little entities that really came together in a sort of haphazard way. So even, even in Italy, we're geographically fractured. Our, our mentality or the mentality of those who are still there is oftentimes very local. So when people come here, uh, the Sicilians live on one block and the Calabresi on another, and you know, the Genovese have a church, but they don't really want the people from the South going there. And we see it everywhere we travel around the country. Um, so I think that that sort of fractured experience is, is not new for us. I think that there's certainly a difference between people who came before World War II, that great migration from the 1890s to the 1920s, 
people who came after World War II, people who come today, people who are first generation or fifth generation uh, by, you know, what our ages are, we're fractured by our geography. The, the Italian-American experience is different everywhere uh, that we arrived. But that being said, I actually think that it means that we survive quite well in that fractured state. So I find, um, having worked in this community professionally for almost 20 years, I find now the more I travel, the more we interview people, the, the more interactions we have with different groups and whatnot, I think, yes, the community's fractured. I think we sometimes get into petty squabbles. Uh, that's in our character as well. But I actually think that we're okay in that fracture. And I think that the future is very bright because on the censuses, last census, I think 18.2 something million people self-identified, took the time to write Italian or Italian-American. And uh, I think the younger generations, even those who are many, many generations here, whose immigrant ancestors came 100 years ago, they're curious about their heritage if they don't have the uh, kind of natural experience of an old neighborhood. And our audiences, I think, and this is just qualitative, I think it's uh, a, a great portion of it, we feel from the letters we get and the emails we get and whatnot, is made up of people who have ancestors that came over many, many, many decades ago, and they are looking to learn about the identity. So I think people always cling to Italian identity. I think it's a, a beautiful and attractive and exciting one. I don't think our future is uh, is one of loss at all. I think it's a very bright one. Good. Um, I'm curious. Let's talk about you then, because let's go back and trace your roots, and then we'll kind of maybe compare stories, and I'll, and I'll tell you, because I grew up, you know, here in Pittsburgh, and I grew up in what was, you know, now they call it Little Italy, all right? So there was a lot of Italians there, you know, neighbors spoke Italian. A lot of those people are gone, and, you know, I didn't, that connection was sort of lost and then kind of rediscovered for me personally. From you, where where would you say, where is your family originally from and did that connection ever get lost and have to get rediscovered or did it always stay there? So my family is, uh, in Italy, comes from a bunch of different regions. My dad's parents both came from southern Campania in the province of Salerno, uh, but my grandfather's father, the Viola family, came from Basilicata. My mom's dad is from Palermo, Sicily. My mom's mom from Bari in Puglia, and they were both born here. Uh, but my parents both grew up in little Italian enclaves in Brooklyn and Queens, about 15 minutes down the road from each other. I was born in that neighborhood in Brooklyn. My dad's family had been in since 1900. I was, uh, I was born in the same house my dad and his mom were born in, and uh, we've always kind of gone back to the neighborhood and been attached for the feast and for uh, family that was still there. Obviously it's a lot less Italian than it used to be in terms of day-to-day -day living and businesses and residents, things like that. But the neighborhood retains its flair and a lot of little things to draw you back. Uh, so for me, it's, it's always been a part of my life even after we moved out. Now let's, let's talk about that because Obviously, what defines – interesting point I'm going to make to you and tell me if you agree with this. And I want to talk about those some traditions that may have been passed on. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and he's an Italian from Italy, and he came over you know, maybe 12 years ago. And he said, a lot of the Italians in America are frozen in time, meaning when they came over 100 years ago, whatever that culture was, 
they passed that down to their kids. Well, Italy's changed a lot since then, obviously, you know, depending on where you go, because they obviously still maintain a lot of their traditions and philosophies. Did you Have you ever noticed that? And are there any traditions, and I'm curious, like, what are the traditions that you have been passed down, and have they changed? Well, yeah, I mean, I think naturally any immigrant uh, group is, in some sense, uh, frozen in time is sort of oh, has a negative connotation. It almost has aspects of that uh, mosquito in the amber, like in Jurassic Park. You know, we, we're a slice of Italian culture from a particular time and place, transported to another particular time and place, and so we are different. I like to think of it as a, um, frankly, like a lot of the fig trees that came over with our ancestors. You know, you, you cut off a branch, you bring it over you get it to root in different soil. And after a hundred years, the figs may be different, but they're, they're still ultimately from the same tree and they're ultimately figs. And so, you know, we get a lot of criticism from Italians living in Italy that somehow we're antiquated, but in a sense we have evolved ancient traditions differently than they have. And we preserve a lot of Italian culture that may be lost in Italy. And, uh, you know, for me, for my family, we do a lot of things that I, I guess may not exist in Italy anymore. I mean, it feels to me like they have just evolved differently. So be it, you know, the way we celebrate our patron saint and our feast on August 5th or the way we approach holidays and the traditions that we have, the recipes that we have. I'm sure we cook a lot of foods that aren't particularly big in Italy anymore. I know that. Um, but again, you know, you take the things that, come from the time that your ancestors left and they become the soul food of both you know food and culture for future generations so i always say to italians you can learn a lot about where you came from by interacting with us and, and appreciating and respecting that we've also evolved too we're obviously not you know out in the field hoeing dirt and uh, and planting like it's 1890 anymore but maybe our traditions are a little bit more um more antiquated and sacred to us. So actually that's a very interesting point because what a lot of people, I, I don't see, I would say people don't appreciate the fact that a lot of people that came over, especially a hundred years ago, and it's just like now when people are, when people are crossing the border, they're coming here for what reason? A better life. So a hundred something years ago, and I, I love the use of working in the fields because these people were dirt poor. I mean, I remember not too long ago, I was seeing some old photos and they were in Italy working in rice farms or, you know, like rice paddies. And I, I never, it never dawned on me. I was like, wow, rice fields. And you, know, you think like maybe it's going to be in Southeast Asia, but they were in Italy. Like they're like just, you know, poor women. They're out there in the rice field. They're, you know, they're harvesting the rice. And you think about that and then they come over here and okay, that's one generation. And, you know, then the war happens and, you know, 10, 15 years in the sixties, you kind of had another wave of Italians. And now you get another, again, different kind of generation of, of, of Italians. From your perspective, what are what are some of those traditions that you you're passing things down? And to your point, depending on which generation you got that tradition from, it's going to be a little different. It's going to morph. It's going to morph just because we're going to change as people. Each generation is going to do it a little differently. Even if you were in Italy, you would do things a little differently now than you did a hundred years ago. So it's not to your point. It's not like it's good or bad. It's just different. And yeah, some of it might be frozen in time, but maybe maybe they're trying to hold on to those traditions so they don't get lost because they're so far away. But I'm curious, what are some specific traditions and things that you do that you say, nah, I'm going to make sure that with my family, we do this? That's a great question. Uh, it, you know, 
uh, in terms of traditions that I think we do that may not exist in Italy anymore, I think my my background as an anthropologist makes it difficult for me to say uh, that there's anything that is, is is lost in Italy, right? I mean, you know, we we do things like um, my partner and our and co-host Pat, uh, we make uh, sanguinach blood pudding, chocolate blood pudding. And it's made by a lot of bakeries here in different parts of the U.S. It's made in a lot of small Italian-American communities. If you go to Italy, you can still get it. But I remember watching a great video on the BBC one time while I was in the U.K. about two Italian chefs traveling through Italy. And one of the chefs was from Calabria, and he went back to his hometown uh, in the mountains of Calabria when they slaughtered the pig annually. And Nobody remembered how to make sanguinach. And here's this, you know, 80-some-odd-year-old chef teaching all these young kids a tradition that when he left would have been common knowledge for everybody. So, you know, things fall out of fashion. Things become difficult uh, to do. And the convenience kicks in. And so, you know, for, for me and my family, the things that we keep, um, you know, we're my, my father-in-law in particular is great. He still makes capicola and sausage and dries the meats and we still jar tomatoes and uh in september and you know we we try to keep as much as we can of the kind of slower way of life we garden all of us together and you know little things that uh that force you to slow down and uh, particularly around food because you know what what you ingest what you taste it's, it's a great engine for memory so we do a lot of the traditions around i think i guess how we eat well, we definitely like eating, and that's not just an Italian thing, but I'm not going to lie. I like eating, and I like good food, and when I was, every time I go over there, I feel like, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like I could eat a ton of food and not get, not gain weight. I don't know if it's just because I'm walking so much, or if the food is just different, but uh, yeah, I like eating, John. I just want to go on record as saying that. And for the folks who are joining yeah. us, we're, we're joined with John Viola from America, Italian American Podcast. Again, John, thank you for the time. I want to go back a little bit. You um, have been involved uh, I guess on a lot of different uh, Italian organizations for a while now. Now you were, when did you kind of start joining formal organizations? Because I think it says here that you were the president, chief operating officer of uh, NIAF, and then now you uh, work with ISDA. Is that correct? I do. Yes, I uh, I am essentially a professional Italian American. That's what it says on my business card, and we make jokes about it, but it's true. It's become my life, and I uh, I started participating in organizations when I was a teenager. I, I joined NEF and I started going to their events and fell in love with the idea that I could be in a world that was, uh, you know, completely, um, completely filled with Italian American pride. And so I joined different organizations, different boards. I've been on the board of the national Italian American sports hall of fame since I was about 18, 19 years old. Uh, and then I came to become the president of NEF uh, many years ago now when I was in my late 20s. Did that for six years, came on to the show, and uh, I've been a member of the ISDA uh, going on probably seven years, something like that. And uh, we've started new lodges in different parts of the country. So I'm the regional vice president for New York City because we have a lodge here, and m- much of it's built around the interaction with uh, our, our podcast and the stuff that we do in the city. So yeah, I, I love it. I try to sign up for every group that I can to support them because I think that these organizations have great histories and they all provide different ways for people to interact with our culture. So 
I'm telling you, Claudio is going to kick himself for missing this one. Claudio is the president of the Pittsburgh chapter of the Italian American uh, Sports Hall of Fame, so he would have loved to have oh, this yeah. conversation. So, Claudio, I'm staring oh. at his empty chair and just wishing he were here, but I'm sure he'll he'll miss it. But we, we, we can we can catch up after the show. But uh, yeah, he's the president of the local chapter, and um, I know they're going to have their uh, Hall of Fame banquet. I believe it's going to be. August 2nd. So I don't know if you uh, would be interested in joining us down here, but consider that your formal invite to come on down to Pittsburgh August 2nd for the Italian uh, Sports Hall of Fame here in Pittsburgh. Um, with that being said, I kind of want to I want to transition just a little bit. So you joined a lot of these groups. Now, funny, kind of a funny story. Where I grew up in Pittsburgh, right behind my house was what was called the Adelaide Club. And the Adelaide Club was basically you had to be from that area, so just like a lot of these neighborhoods, like you talk about, they it's one little town, they all get up, they come to the United States, they settle, say, in the same city, and they literally live in some of the same blocks. So, boom, they've just settled in this part of Pittsburgh, or this part of New York, or this part of Cleveland, whatever. So they were neighbors in Italy, now they're neighbors in the United States. So there was the Adelaide Club behind my house. They used to play bocce all the time, has a great time. Didn't interest me. I go away to the military, is off for 20 years, I come back. And this is kind of the, the discovery journey. I was, I don't know how to, I don't know what the kick was, but something happened and I said, you know, I think I'd like to take a vacation. I'd like to go see Italy one time, you know, just because it was always something that was kind of neat, but you never really into it. And that sort of kickstarted this. I started learning Italian. And then I started to kind of do some history review, you know, started doing the geology and all that stuff. And it turned out that I was able to trace all these relatives back hundreds and hundreds of years because Italians actually keep good records. And um, I was also able to find out that I have living relatives. So now I go back to Italy every year. I've met relatives in Italy. I find all this stuff out. Now I'm joined with all these different groups. I'm, you know, joined the Calabria Club. You know, I, I, I'm part of ISDA. I'm part of NEAF. Uh, I probably, I signed up for the Hall. I'm part of the Italian Hall Sports Hall of Fame. I'm like you. Now I'm like, I'm into it. But, but the challenge is, is when I, when I go to a lot of these meetings, it depends where. I won't, I won't throw a blanket statement here, but, I, but I'll say it's probably more common than not. To your point, it'd be more of a qualitative assessment. But I don't see that many young people really getting motivated. You guys are putting a lot of effort into that. And I know we were talking beforehand about the leadership development piece. How do you get young folks that, you know, again, it might have been their great-grandmother, their grandmother, somebody who was from Italy, or, you know, or generations long gone dead, and they're Americanized. But how do we get them, and believe me, if you have the answer, I'm going to take it from you and bottle it and sell it, but how do we get young folks involved in these organizations? One, to keep the organizations alive, because I think the organizations can do a lot of fun social things that people will just enjoy doing, especially if you are involved in it. And two, help promote the culture. So how do you get people to believe that and get involved? What are you guys doing? Well, that's a great question. And I think it's the, um, it's the conundrum that comes up most often as we travel around the country. Uh, you know, when I was hired at NEAF, I was 28 years old. And it was pretty clear to me that the, the reason that I got the job over someone who probably would have had more experience was because I was going to be tasked with sort of, you know, lowering the median age. Uh, I think first and foremost, it's understanding that young people doesn't matter how many generations their family's been here, how American they are, what percentage Italian they are. I know people that listen to our show religiously call us up there, you know, one sixteenth Italian, and they are just passionate about this. And that's not a, a, an uncommon occurrence. It's about 
understanding how people participate and identify with things. You know, it's different than it used to be. The, the bowling alone model is obviously uh, one that comes up a lot. You know, people of a certain generation don't join weekly meetings or monthly meetings or have to necessarily go to a brick and mortar place or pay a membership fee to feel like they are a part of something. You know, when I first got into this business, this, this field with the Italian American uh, institutions, Pat and I were talking and he said, you know, people think because the receipts are down for clubs or memberships that people don't identify. But if you go and look at Facebook, there's thousands and thousands of groups with thousands and thousands of members and they're active and people do identify. They just participate differently. So one of the things that we've come up with is our Italian American future leaders conference, which we, we just hosted in partnership with uh, the conference of presidents of major Italian American organizations. And the head of that conference is also the head of the ISDA, uh, Mr. Basil Russo, judge Russo. And uh, he and Pat and I and Stephanie kind of cooked this thing up and we brought together a hundred young Italian Americans from the ages of 21 and 35, or maybe 25 and 31. I can't remember, uh, who had participated in organizations of all different kinds. And really the idea was to get them under one roof so that they could interact and tell us and take, take on leadership of, uh, sort of a Congress of young leaders to tell us where the future was going to be and how they wanted to participate and to ask us and some of the other kind of mentors that we brought together, what we could share about the current state of community or the past of the community. And, uh, we're really focused now on making that an annual occurrence. We're going to be doing some smaller versions of this IAFL in different cities around the country leading up to it. And then hopefully as we grow year after year, this January, conference in Florida will continue to flourish and will sort of be the annual get together for not just future leaders, but eventually for all different leaders from organizations and businesses and, and, and we'll add components to it. I believe having uh, run an organization that's famous for its uh, gala weekend, I think it's kind of like the comic con model. I think a lot of people, in the younger generation can throw on their red, white, and green passion with a deep dive weekend where everybody's together and celebrating and uh, there's conferences and events and film screenings and whatnot. And they don't feel like they have to sign up for membership or play in a bocce tournament every week. So we're trying to focus on creating that kind of event, a signature event every year. And then also to encourage the groups that do exist to take advantage of the youth that are, that are in these organizations that want to be part of the leadership. What, what tends to happen in Italian American organizations is they say they want young people, young people come and they kind of say to them, sit in the background and look pretty until we're all dead. And then you can have the leadership reigns. And if you do that, people are going to leave. There is a lot of truth in what you just said. And that's not just limited to Italian organizations. I'm also with the Knights of Columbus and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're suffering a little bit of the same thing. You go to the meetings, they're all older folks. They've been there forever. It's like you, you say, okay, I get a young person there, and they're like, okay, what do I do? You've literally brought me in here to, to offer me more work. Uh, why am I here? And, you know, you're trying to find that motivational piece. And, John, we're going to come back to this. I want to take a quick break. And, again, I want to thank, uh, thank our listeners. We have John Viola, the professional Italian-American from Italian-American Podcast, 
great podcast. I encourage you all to go out there and listen to it. But uh, before we kind of continue with John, I'm going to have to pay the bills here. So I want to thank our sponsors, Pellucci Plumbing. Again, Nick and Amy, thank you very much for your support. As always, go out to our website, italianimpactweekly.com. Check out Pellucci Plumbing. Get their contact information. I've known Nick for probably close to 40 years. And uh, I always say this. I won't just say this. Nick is a good guy, and I will not just support someone that I don't believe in. I've known Nick for too long, and I encourage you that uh, you know go out and take a look at the website. Greater Pittsburgh Travel, again, Tom Deeks planning my vacation for the second year in a row. Tom, appreciate your support. I encourage you to go out there to our website, get Tom's contact information. Great guy. I won't just say that if I don't believe in the person. Mark Pasquale, again, Mark, thank you very much for your support. Also, Calabria Club of Pittsburgh, Dominica and the folks, we again thank you for your support. And ironically enough, they do have a bocce tournament coming up May 21st, Elm Grove Shelter in Highland Park from 1 to 6 p.m. This is their, I believe this is kind of their annual meeting. Um, so again, encourage you to go out there. I will be out there. I think Claudia will be joining me. Hope to meet you all out there in person. Again, it's May 21st, Elm Grove Shelter in Highland Park from 1 to 6 p.m. And last but certainly not least, La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei. The only nonprofit school here in Pittsburgh. Again, Angela and the folks, thank you very much for your support. We do appreciate it. And as I always say, and I will continue to say, as long as I'm your student, as long as you are patient with me as a student, I will continue to give you great remarks. Thank you very Again, seriously, thank you, Angela. I appreciate that. All right. Again, I want to welcome our listeners. Welcome uh, everybody who's just joining us. We have John Viola, the professional Italian-American from Italian-American Podcast. John, we were talking about how to get folks involved how to get uh, you know these organizations kind of not just getting youth to show up, but somehow getting a way to you know get them immersed in there, get them a part of it. And to your point, I kind of loved what you said. You know, sit in the background, wait till I'm dead, then you can run it. And that's happened to a lot of organizations. And you guys, again, you had the leadership um, conferences out there that you're pushing out there. What are some other things that you guys are doing, or other folks? Maybe you could think about. You said, you know what? Maybe they could try this or. How come folks aren't doing this? But how do you get young folks to continue to get engaged in these, especially now when you're in kind of a way more virtual world than you were, you know, just 10 years ago? Believe me, I remember a time when there was no internet, and I'm not really that old. So just to show you the dynamics of humanity, you know, just a few years ago, everyone was locked in their house. Everyone's doing everything online. And now you open the doors, but people aren't necessarily running outside again. So, John, what are your thoughts? How do we how do we get them engaged? Well, I think that you know the idea of of seeding some leadership is the most important thing. You know, we we always tell the story about a club in New Jersey, a similar mutual aid society like the ones you mentioned before, the sort of ones that where you know everybody came from one part of Italy and landed in one part of America, and and you know these these are traditional clubs. They they obviously skew older, like the Knights of Columbus, and there was this one that was uh, really dwindling and they kind of said, you know, what do we do to get young people? And one guy said, oh, I'm going to ask my grandson. And so the grandson came in, they planned this big youth party night in the clubhouse and he worked hard with all his friends and he must've got, you know, a hundred plus uh, young people there. And the, the energy was great. Everybody was excited. And at 10:30, the old timers got cranky because they wanted to play Brishkola and they sort of threw them out. So it, it can't just be to be window dressing. It's got to be, you know, if you're going to, if you care about an organization, you, and you really want to lead it, you have to lead it for the next generation. You can't lead it for your own interest. You can't lead it for your social life. You can't lead it because you enjoy wearing the sash. If you want it to survive and thrive when you're not there, you have to be worrying about what the next generation is looking for, not 
what you're looking for in your social experience. And that's really, really important. And that's not a criticism of anybody who's, who's running an organization. It's just to say that once you are in charge, the time to worry about your own enjoyment is over. And that's something that gets lost a lot. I think, uh, you know, we try to go where young people are. We try to uh, support organizations that they've started to bring them together, to communicate amongst one another uh, as the future leadership of the community, but also to communicate with us and to, you know, help. we can help them find financial support or we can help them find speakers or content or help expose what they're doing through the social media networks that uh, us and our partners have created. So I think there's a lot of wonderful activity going on where younger people are participating. And like you say, a lot of it is virtual. So we encourage people, we try to help uh, where we can in genealogical studies. If, if we can't get something done, we will put them in touch with the right professionals. We try to give people itineraries for what they can do in Italy. We have a video series on YouTube we created called Greetings from Italian America that hopefully exposes the best of different communities. And, and frankly, a lot of times people who come from these communities don't even know some of these businesses or landmarks or clubs are still there. So we, we try to get the word out as best we can. As a matter of fact, we're in Pittsburgh uh, a couple of years ago. I had an episode that we did there. And um, to me, it's just about turning up the volume on the conversation. There is a lot of interest out there. We just have to take all those little sparks and unite them around one another to create that fire. So it's funny you mentioned the Pittsburgh podcast. So I watched that and I was like, I didn't know that place was there. And I grew up here. So that was actually informative for me. And I live here. So I, I actually did enjoy that. And again, please, if you guys come back, let me know. I would love to. Uh, I'd like to follow you around so you can tell me, since I live here, where to go and eat. Because uh, that was kind of funny. But I was watching. I was like, uh, you, went, you went to one of these bakeries. I'm like, where the? I've never heard of these places. It was, it was, it was actually a really good podcast. And again, Folks listening, um, I really do encourage you to go out and check out their podcast. I think you, I think that was on YouTube, um, but that was actually a really good, one, especially if you're from a Pittsburgh area. Um, a lot of young folks are listening, and maybe they do want to get involved. By the way, I, I want, before I go there, I, want to, I do want to mention one thing. You talked about genealogy. So when I was kind of on my, I want to learn my roots, I found, I guess I went back hundreds of years to find my relatives. And it's funny you say that because my kids, you know, and they're all in their 20s, but they were all really interested in that. And then when we actually went over and met the family, it, it, it definitely sparked it in them. And I think when it's, when it's something tangible that you can see, there is a, oh, that's neat. Versus like, oh, you should come to the, you know, you should come see, go to grandpa. Like, I'm going to make fun of Bocce. Even though I will be at a Bocce tournament this Sunday. I'm going to make fun of a little bit. But but to your point, it's like, oh, go play, go play with Bocce with grandpa, you know, this Sunday with the old timers club. They're like, eh, I don't want to do that. But, but you know, you find some commonalities there, but you find some connection there. And I, I do think that sparks it. Like I said, I was surprised um, that my kids really enjoyed that. And I'll tell you what else blew their mind. When we went over and met the uh, family, they're in Calabria, in a little town called Mendotericcio, and it is small. And there was maybe one, maybe two people that spoke English, so I speak Italian. So, avevo bisogno di parlare solamente in italiano quando lì. And my kids are like, huh? And I was like, yeah, I speak some Italian, and they didn't know, and so they thought that was cool. So again, it was something tangible. Um, I do like that idea that you guys are doing is saying, hey, listen, you should go to Italy and check this out. But I do like the idea of encouraging them to go trace their roots um, because I think it is absolutely really neat. 
when you just see where you've come from, and I think you kind of nailed this, our roots, people do not appreciate how important history is. It's just this boring thing I do at school. But I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe you can chime in here. But I think it is neat to go back hundreds of years and then you're saying like, oh, they were from this little town and they were, you know, sheep. You know, I think one of mine was like, I part of my lineage like shepherds. And it's like, I mean, I kind of find that interesting. Did, did you do that kind of genealogy? Have you done that for other folks and kind of, I want to say wild them, but like what were the responses to that? Yeah, we do. We do that a lot. I mean, uh, I've done it myself. I think I think it's safe to say all five of the co-hosts on the show, we've done extensive genealogy for ourselves and for others. And Pat's uh, become famous amongst our audience for it because he he relishes the challenge of the family who approaches him and says, you know, we, we just can't figure it out. And uh, as a matter of fact, when we were in Pittsburgh, we were in a bakery outside of the city. And I'm going to draw a blank on what it was called, began with an M, uh, but Moises 10, or something? Minutes out. What's like Moises? Moises or... Oh, I know which one. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, it, it was great, too. It was fantastic. And we, we walked in... Uh, Moiros, I think Mo- it was called. Moiros. Um, and we walked into the, the bakery, and it was early in the morning. We, we usually um, pack in a, a busy days when we're out on the road. So we were the, welcomed by the proprietor. He opened up the door we started getting mic'd up and the cameras out and everything. And of course it was Moiro's. Yeah. Cause he was a Moiro and Pat said to him, where's your family from? He said, we really don't know. We've never been able to figure this out. They came a hundred years ago somewhere in Calabria. And within, I don't even think it was five minutes. I really think it was under three. Pat had accessed all these digital databases and he found the family heritage and found the town. And the, the gentleman was so choked up. And we couldn't even get it on camera because the cameras hadn't even come out of the bags yet. But we, we do this a lot, um, not just for the sort of party game, a party trick uh, kind of atmosphere that it, it creates, but really because, especially nowadays, you know, we live in a world where media is telling you all the time that you can decide your own fate and you don't have to belong to anything greater than yourself. And, you know, you can identify as whatever you want and you can, uh, digitally engage. If you feel like you're, you're more, um, drawn to a foreign culture, you don't even have to go there. You can engage so much of it online and that's all well and good. But I guess our whole proposition is that you, you do belong to something greater than yourself and you belong to many things greater than yourself, starting with family and, uh, your heritage. And I think that, in a world that tells you, you you don't need to, when you do get to dip your toe, especially in your ancestral town, you know, there's something to be said about going back to Italy, looking at records on paper is one thing, but going back and touching these buildings and, and treading the same uh, steps and same streets. And, and frankly, you know, I can't tell you the amount of times we, we hear somebody go, yeah, I went to this town and even if they didn't have relatives, this person kind of looked like my grandfather or we had food in a restaurant and it tasted like my grandmother's. I mean, it's so real and tangible and there is so much connectivity, right? If you trace back enough generations, we're all related to Charlemagne, as they say. So it's not <laughs> that big of a world yet. Uh, and I think that when people get to do that, it just creates a whole different authenticity and reality around what their Italianness means to them. And, and this year coming up, 2024, the government of Italy is putting all kinds of resources behind their year of roots travel. 
And I just had a meeting with uh, the Council General of New York, Pat and I, last week about that, about that initiative, because even they are becoming aware that if you can experience that ancestral place in a real way, it's going to make you so different going forward and, uh, and probably in, in, embolden, I guess, your, your, your quest for more knowledge, more history, and more experience. So I, I think that this is a, a very important part of our Italian-Americanness. And people always say, ah, oh, Italian records, we can't. No, you can. The records are there. And the great thing about Italy is they have excellent civic records and excellent church records. So it just takes a little bit of understanding of how to navigate. That's what we try to help people with. Uh, your records are there. And, and in most cases, your family history can be rehashed and rebuilt. So actually, that is funny you say that. A couple of pieces uh, for that. Number one, my grandfather's side was from a small town in uh, Abruzzo called Pesco Costanza. And this is one of these towns that was mostly destroyed. That whole area was basically destroyed during the war. And a lot of the records were destroyed. But I believe it was, I don't know if it was the church, but like they always had duplicates. Like one would go to the church and one would go to like the, you know, the town hall or wherever. And they were able to find at least enough of like the copies of the records to, you know, like I said, in my case, we were able to go back to like the early 1700s. And I think the only reason he stopped was because he figured out what's the point of going back further. But you're right. Even towns that were destroyed by the war, I promise you there's still something somewhere that's there. You just got to know how to find it. And you've got people all over Italy, to your point, that are, that are doing nothing but chase down records for foreigners who are trying to do almost all the time, genealogy research. In a lot of cases, it's just because, eh, I'm interested in to know where I came from. But in other cases, it's because they're trying to do their dual citizenship. And I'll, and I'll say something else you said that I 100% agree and in, in, I'm reading the lines on this one. If you don't know where you come from, you don't know who you are. If you don't know who you are, you don't know who you're supposed to be. And a lot of people now, I think to your point, is they're just being told almost like, ah, whatever, that's not important. Don't worry about it. Just be what you want to be. You know, like, well, and then the problem is people can't figure out why they're not happy or why they feel lost or why they feel, you know, depressed because they don't have any roots. They're not grounded to anything. They've, they've cut the roots and it's just like a tree. When you cut the roots, it's going to die. And so I believe that knowing where you come from helps complete you as a person. And even if it's for no other reason, just for curiosity, I think we're always surprised when we find something in our genealogy. And I'm just curious to ask you, have you found anything in your genealogy that kind of surprised you and you went, whoa, I didn't know that? Anything uh, fun and exciting for the folks? Oh, yeah, lots of stuff. I mean, uh, first of all, to, to your point about roots, um, I, I take this very seriously. It's a big part of who I am. I think when you're told that it's it's a blank canvas of a world and you can do whatever you want, that's an unfair, it's a lie, really. Yeah, and it absolutely. creates a lot of anxiety. And it, it, it makes people anxious because if, if you are the center of this universe then and it's all about your experience, then when it doesn't work, it, it falls back on you. And so when you know you belong to something, it takes away anxiety. I look at so many people like, you know, uh, I'm, I married a, an Italian American woman and in raising our kids, we see a lot of friends who, who aren't attached to their heritage or roots. And, 
they're always sort of reinventing the wheel, every book and every, uh, you know, what do I have to do with the kid this? And did they say 500 words? And, you know, for us, we're just recalling what our parents did and what our grandparents did because they were in the house with us. And so it's, it's a lot less anxiety when you know that you've gotten to this point because of those who came before you. And, and I, that's a example that always comes up in my mind. It's like when you don't, you're not attached to anything, it's all anxiety. In terms of my genealogy, we've had some amazing finds. Um, you know, I was able to track my dad's father's family. We, we always stopped at my grandfather because he was born in this little town and uh, called Buenavitacolo. And he married my grandmother who was born in the next, uh, who whose parents were born in the next town. She was born after they got here. They lived in the same house. They were in arranged marriage, but we, we lost everything after that. And it took us a while. And through the help of a lot of my friends in Italy, we found that my family actually had, my great grandfather had come from Basilicata, fought in World War One, met my great grandmother, somehow relocated to Campania. And so now we tracked our family that we never thought we could find back to 1730, whatever. Um, I think the coolest surprise story for me is when, is, is when you can put stories to these things. So I've spent a lot of my time and, and Pat as well. Uh, we work with the former Royal family of Southern Italy, the Borbone delle Due Sicilia, who, you know, for those who don't know, before Italy unified, the whole Southern half of the peninsula and the island of Sicily was its own kingdom from the year 1130 until 1861. And this Royal family uh, is, is active still and, and even has been since unification in charitable works in the South. And we work with them and we work uh, with their Constantinian order, which is their uh, ancient knighthood. Um, and I've always had this great affinity for my Southern identity and obviously working with these uh, royals, these, these deposed royals. Uh, I, I've traveled a lot with them and I was traveling with this Princess Beatrice, whose, whose brother, Prince Charles, would be the king of Naples and Sicily if, if Italy hadn't unified. And uh, I was talking about how passionate I am about this history and a guy that we met who also shared that passion, but two weeks later sent me records that he was able to find uh, a great, great grand uncle of mine who was a, an officer in their army during unification. And, and at that point when the two armies fought each other after a while, most of the leadership of the Southern army was eventually begrudgingly invited into the Italian army but uh, a significant portion decided they didn't want to be unified and they went out in the mountains and fought like a 10 year civil war. That's an almost uh, unspoken part of Italian history. It, it's very poorly misrepresented in, in Italian history books. And my great, great, great uncle was one of those officers who went out and he became a famed uh, freedom fighter for the South. And I was able to attach this passion that I had to this story of an ancestor of mine. I just couldn't wrap my head around the amazing confluence of all these things in uh, in my life, just through genealogy. John, I'm not gonna lie; it's kind of neat. I'm not even gonna tell you my story at this point. <laughs> that was that's actually really interesting. Um, but it's funny because uh, you know the other two people when they came over, they didn't necessarily all came over. And the, you know, my story of interest is the fact that when my grandmother's father. And his brother came over. They had a different brother who actually went to South America. And that was the other thing a lot of people forget. A lot of Italians went to South America. They went to Argentina or other places, but mostly Argentina. He actually goes back to Italy. But the other two stayed here in Pittsburgh, and, you know, they died here in Pittsburgh. But it turned out he had three sisters that stayed in the town. And that was my kind of eye-opener through genealogy. Like, wait a minute. These people had kids, and they're still living in that town. And they're only a couple of cousins removed 
And uh, that was the people I met. Um, but then I also learned, again, this is, this is for the folks that are listening. This is why we're telling you the genealogy is important. I also learned that I was eligible to be an Italian citizen because on my grandfather's side, his father never renounced his Italian citizenship. So I actually ended ah, up getting my right. So I ended up. So I'm actually a dual citizen. I've got the passport and everything, um, which is why I was like, "Damn, I better learn how to speak Italian." Because uh, if I'm going to walk over there and flash my passport and they go "Buongiorno, come on," I'm like, "Oh, what?" You know, it's like, nah. "Yeah, we better know how to speak Italian." So I learned it. Um, but again, that was that's my connector. And when my kids saw that, they're like, "Whoa!" So I I think that genealogy to me, I think that is something that will light. A lot of younger people up and and you know what what i do want to pull a thread on something you know the blank canvas is also very dangerous because it also means that the world can write on it and the world doesn't usually write nice things on your life you know you want to be grounded so you know who you are and then no one can push you over so i i think that um you know to continue fighting the good fight in our case it's all about sharing the culture i'm proud of my culture i served 20 years in the united states military hey i'm american through and through but I know that my family came from Italy. I know they came most, like most people, they came out of desperation. But when they came or they said, oh, we're in America, we're Americans now, and this is our country, and they adopted to the country, and they served the country very well. And, you know, the problem, though, is generations go by, and that gets lost. And I like the idea of what you guys are doing. This is what I'm trying to do is we're trying to say, no, no, no. It, you can be proud of your culture and still be a good American. You can have both. You can uh, learn, yeah. right? And I think a lot of people, because there was a generation, especially the older generation. When you go back to that hundred years ago generation, they didn't teach their kids Italian. They didn't push the cultures up. Oh, we're in America now, and I think that is also created some of that disconnect. I mean, some of the traditions that get passed on, it's simply just this is just the way we live. It wasn't like they were intentionally saying, "Hey, we're going to pass this down because we're Italians and we're proud." You or I, we're doing that because we were born here. So we see these cultures, we say, oh, I want to share this culture because I'm proud of this. I'm proud of those people that came over here. But those people that came over here, they were proud that they came over here too, but they felt the need to adjust. So, you know, I'll kind of give you the last word on that. Yeah, I mean, I can't begrudge those who came before under, I mean, really unenviable circumstances. People forget how difficult Italian immigration was. We came in significant numbers. We were not only uh, Roman Catholic, but uh, unlike the Irish, we spoke a different language. We we had nothing going for us. We really were the first sort of scary horde of immigrants, I think, that came over. And you could see that in, in the lynchings, not right. just in New Orleans, but in all places around the, the South in particular. I mean, uh, Italians were lynched in a lot of cases. Uh, you could see that in, you know, Italians do not apply or Italian wages being listed in advertisements as you know, a, a percentage less than anybody else or, you know, all of these things. This is not a, a pretty experience. So you could see why people would sort of put their heads down and work and want to assimilate. And, and of course, then the enemy combatant uh, uh, condition of the Second World War was a really difficult time in our experience. I mean, I look at my grandmother who, until the day she died, even though I had heard her speak beautiful Neapolitan many, many times, refused to admit that she did because she came of age during that war here on the home front and, you know, don't speak the enemy language posters were a real thing. So I can understand it's been a difficult experience and sometimes you have to just sort of jettison the past and the pain that, that might come with holding on to it. But the truth is now we live in different times. 
We are a post-assimilation or post-integration ethnic group, and there's still a lot of interest, and there's still a lot of passion. There's still a lot of self-identification. So we preach all the time, you know, pick up traditions, not just because they're traditions, but because they, again, attach you to something, and they give definition to who you are. So we say, like, you know, look at the old naming traditions, you know, name your kids after your parents or your spouse's parents. And we have so many listeners who call us and say, you know, I never thought of how important that was. And we decided to name our kid after my dad or my mom or her mom or whatever. Uh, and even with names, you know, my name is, is John, uh, because my parents used the English of my name. My father's name is Vincent, but we decided to name our daughter Giovanna because it was the Italian version. And I find so many people who have sort of taken back just the, the spelling, the Italian spelling of a name because it, it adds identity. And so I think that we had a difficult trajectory, but we, we frankly, we don't anymore. And uh, adding some of this stuff back, it just gives you so much strength. That identity gives you so much uh, confidence and, and, strength and going out into a really, really wacky world. And I think that that's super important. And I, and I think that we also have to recall and not to bring politics into stuff, but I find fascinating Italian Americans who want to close the door behind us. And, you know, we have to bring that same empathy that we didn't get to new people that come here because that's the American dream. And, and if we can be looking back 150 years in some cases later with passion and reverence for our culture and trying to, explore it again we should bring that same reverence to all the cultures that come here amen i couldn't said it any better and john again i want to thank you very much for being our guest today folks listening this was john viola he is the professional italian american he is one of the co-hosts from italian american podcast again john i want to thank you very much for being on the show um some very good uh insight into you know just how to promote the culture, how to engage the youth, you know, the the different importances of, of why we're doing this. And again, folks that are listening to us, you don't have to be Italian to appreciate your heritage. And that's the whole point. A lot of people think, oh, you're only talking about Italians. We're not. It's anybody's heritage. No. This, almost this entire country is a bunch of immigrants at the end of the day. And John, you kind of agree with that, right? I mean, you're from you're from New York. I know you see that all the time. Yeah, look, I mean, with the exception of the indigenous peoples, this is a country right. full of immigrants. And uh, I think it says a lot about everybody here has a version of that story, be it a, a painful one, a pleasant one, whatever it is. Uh, you know, you have a story that makes you who you are. I read a study not long ago that said pe- young people who know their heritage are happier and well-adjusted. This was a, a, a medical study. Um, and I think that makes, without having a degree in, in you know, medic, medical uh, sciences, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. So I love to explore not just our own story, but the stories of all Americans and all peoples around the world. That's what I studied. And uh, my hope is that our platforms are not just ways for Italian-Americans to re-engage, but if you're not Italian-American, you can use our story as a lens onto your own experience. That's what I hope we, we give. 
I appreciate that, John. Again, thank you very much. And, folks, again, appreciate you tuning in. And, again, tune in next week, same time, Thursday, 5 p.m. on khbradio.com. And if you can't catch us live here in the Pittsburgh area, you can always catch our shows on italianimpactweekly.com. And, as always, I want to thank Hank Eduardo for the music. Hank, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And you can find Hank on Facebook. He performs a variety of classic and modern Italian favorites. And I've known Hank, again, for a long time. So, Hank, thank you one more time. And if you have any questions or you'd like to see any guests on the show, please feel free to email us at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. Again, that's questions at italianimpactweekly.com. Thank you all very much, John. Thank you very much. And John, thank you again. And Joe, thank you again. And Claudio, I missed you, buddy. And take care, folks. And we'll see you next week.